chapter 4. And uh, if you would like a Bible, and, and there, are, there are some around, um, so just um, wave your hand in the air and you can grab one. And uh, Lynn is going to come up and read it for us. Thanks, Lynn. Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. When the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehujel, and Mehujel was the father of Methushel, and Methuselah was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jabal, and he was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was called Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Ada made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. 
Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Thanks very much, Lynn. Well, let's pray as we turn to this passage. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would help us to be those who, who tremble at your word. Help us not to think of ourselves too lightly. Help us to be sober in our judgment. Help us to see the sinfulness of sin. But above all, Lord, help us to see the glory of your grace and your mercy. Please, by your spirit, would you help us to understand these words and would you show us Jesus? In his great name we pray. Amen. Am I my brother's keeper? Um, It's one of those phrases that just sort of turns up everywhere. Way back in the 90s, when New Labour was new, um, Tony Blair introduced New Labour to the party conference, describing it as the kind of compassionate socialism that said, I am my brother's keeper. Then across the pond, Barack Obama on his Christmas Day message was this. Now more than ever, we must rededicate ourselves to the notion that we share a common destiny as Americans, that I am my brother's keeper, I am my sister's keeper. (coughs) Comes up everywhere. And perhaps my favourite way it comes across is is this one up on the screen. There's an orangutan with a copy of Darwin's Origin of the Species, if you can't wait, make that out, asking, am I my keeper's brother? <laughs> um, nice. Um, am I my keeper's brother? Am I my brother's keeper, rather? It's used by um, community-minded people, peace lovers, right across the world. We know the phrase, and and we want to be able to answer yes. But these words were first uttered by the world's first murderer, Cain. Right there in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. When they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Not at all uttered in a kind of compassionate socialism way that Tony Blair's envisioning, is it? Well, this morning we're going to focus in on on this story in Genesis 4. We're going to see what this episode shows us of the nature and effects of our sin. But alongside that, we're going to see what we see in these verses of, of God's character of his justice and his mercy that we see here as well. So that's that's where we're headed. So so first of all then, what what do we see of the nature and effects of sin? 
Well, effectively, what we see is things getting from bad to worse. But hot on the heels of the curses at the end of chapter 3, at the start of this chapter, there's, there's a note of anticipation at the birth of a child. Notice what Eve says in verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. There's a sense behind these words that perhaps Eve is is wondering as she's experiencing the painful labour that that she'd been promised as a result of the fall in chapter 3. Maybe this child is the one who's going to be the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. That great promise in chapter 15 of verse 3. Here's the first baby born after that that promise. Is, Is he the one? Well, any hopes are quickly dashed in the space of just a few verses, aren't they? As, as Cain and his brother bring offerings to the Lord, the Lord does not look with favour on Cain's offering. And Cain is overcome with anger and jealousy and, and murders his brother in cold blood. Now over the years there's been lots of speculation as to why Cain's offering was not acceptable, but Abel's offering was in particular, you can find lots of, lots of things saying that, uh, trying to make a, a big deal of the fact that Cain's offering was not a blood sacrifice. Now personally, I think that's a bit too tenuous a link to make. Uh, when we come to look at the Bible, it's, it's important for us to, to try and not read back into texts um, things that we want to be there but actually aren't really there. And just from what we have in these few verses in Genesis, there's not much to to say that it it is to do with a blood sacrifice that he doesn't give, and that's why it's not accepted. Rather, the focus in Genesis 4 is is not so much on the offerings themselves, and and the word is offering here, it's not um, sacrifice. The focus is on the actions of Cain and, and what happens next. All the details we have in in chapter 4 are there in verses 3 and 4. So we we see in verse 3, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And in verse 4, Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. Now we do get a bit of help from the New Testament as the New Testament looks back on this episode. And so in in Hebrews 11 and 1 John 3, um, this is what the writer to the Hebrews says, By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. And 1 John 3, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. It's quite a contrast that's set up in the New Testament about these these two brothers that's painted. and, And the state of their hearts in particular before the Lord. One filled with faith and one who belongs to the evil one. And perhaps that was reflected in the offerings that they brought to the Lord. 
but it's certainly reflected in what happens next. So here in Genesis 4, the focus of this passage is more on the nature and effects of sin, showing how things are going from bad to worse. And as we go through the story, there's echoes uh, back to chapter 3's account of the fall. There's echoes, but there's differences, highlighting the, the, the kind of spread and the corruption of sin in just a short space of time. So in both accounts, there's temptation to begin with. But whereas Eve has to be talked into committing sin, Cain can't be talked out of it by God himself. The, uh, it's an incredibly vivid imagery and warning that he's given direct from the Lord. Verse 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, what, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And then when it comes to the, the sin itself, for Eve and, and for Adam, their sin is against God primarily and on the spur of the moment. Whereas Cain's murder of his brother is cold, calculated, premeditated, violent attack on his brother, his family. And then when you look at the the consequences as they're spelled out in chapter 3 and, and here in chapter 4. Chapter 3 verse 9, the Lord calls out to the man, where are you? Chapter 4 verse 9, the Lord asks Cain, where is your brother Abel? Adam and Eva are filled with shame and remorse. How about Cain? Have a look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Literally, it's almost as if there's a play on words here. that It could be translated, am I the shepherd's shepherd? That's striking, isn't it? There's an outright lie to begin with, and he just completely denies all responsibility. There's no remorse, there's no repentance, there's no shame. Just a complete denial of responsibility. In Genesis 3, as we saw last week, the serpent and the ground are directly cursed by the Lord. Humans are not directly cursed in that same way. But here, Cain is specifically cursed by the Lord as a result of his sin. So you get this sense of, of, of the spreading corruption of sin. Things getting worse. And then the, the second half of this chapter bears that out even more with, with Lamech. First of all, he's got more than one wife, we see. Departing from God's pattern that he'd set out already for family life. And the first poem... Uttered in human history is Adam's love poem to his wife, Eve, as he's presented with her. The second poem is here in uh, chapter 4, verse 23. And it's a crass 
celebration of violence and self-importance and threats of vengeance. Things are going from bad to worse. This this, um, cycle of events, the corruption and spread of sin and violence, as we look back through history, that's what we see again and again. And in the world around us today, even in bowling alleys in, in the US, in Gaza, we could list hundreds more places. We see this corruption and spread of sin and violence. But do we see this cycle in our own lives, in our own hearts too? Perhaps the most striking thing for me from Genesis 4 is Cain's total denial of responsibility. There's something just so godless, so wrong about his refusal to take any responsibility for his wrongdoing. You see it today with um, the non-apology apologies uh, that you get from celebrities or MPs or bosses of companies when uh, they're caught with their pants down or mired by some kind of scandal, treated somebody horrifically and they... And you get these kind of apologies that aren't really apologies. They're just, they've got, the shareholders are demanding that they say something. So they say, I'm sorry if I did anything wrong. I'm I'm sorry if you were offended. I'm sorry you think I did something. You know, those those kind of things. There's, There's nothing genuine about those kind of apologies that people are sort of compelled to make by the chief whip or by public opinion. But the reality is there can be no reconciliation without first taking responsibility for our actions. That's true for human relationships and that's true for our relationship with our Father God too. Our denial of responsibility from our sin distances us even further from our God. Just on a transactional level, our our sin, our transgressing of, of God's law, separates us from him, the holy, majestic, pure, set apart Lord of all. We have broken the rules when when we sin. We we're spoiled. We have rebelled against our Father's rightful rule and, and we deserve judgment for it. And that sin separates us for him. But by our nature, at a heart level, Distance from God is there because of the fact of our sin, but also because by our very nature, if we're honest, we enjoy sin. We want to protect our right to sin. We want to resist any attempts to to, to rein in or kind of harness our, our corruption. So, of course, we deny responsibility. And as we deny responsibility, we're actively moving away from the Lord. From, we're moving away from reconciliation. So as we look at this tragedy before us, perhaps we need to search our hearts this morning. Are there things that we are failing to take responsibility for? Are there specific things? 
Are there persistent things that we try to justify to ourselves or, or, or play down? The Lord's warning to Cain is stark, isn't it? And it's a warning for us too. Sin is crouching at our door, desiring to have us and overcome us. But we must master it. And that begs the question, how do I master it? Can I master it? Is there any hope for me, for us, in this? Well, having looked at the nature and effects of sin, we're going to move on to look at the character of God. The character of God. It shows us, first of all, his deep concern for justice. A deep concern for justice. Have a look at verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The word that's used there for cries is is a particularly strong word. It's a a, a word of, of desperation. It's used, the same word is used in Genesis 41. It's the desperate cry of men without food. It's used in Exodus 14, verse 10, as, as the cry of those expecting to die. It's used in Judges 4, verse 3, of, of those who are oppressed by their enemies. It's the scream of a woman being attacked in Deuteronomy 22. It's the plea for victims of injustice in Exodus 22, 22. Your, blood, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Again and again throughout scripture we're we're told what we see here. The Lord hears those cries. Even as Abel is no longer there to speak for himself. His blood cries out to the Lord for justice. Our God is a God of justice. He, He hears, he sees. And that is profoundly good news for us. He loves justice. He is just. He sees the oppression and injustice. He's he's moved by it. He is full of compassion as he hears, as he sees. There's something deep within us as as humans that, that longs for justice. Whether it's just on a sort of trivial level of a penalty that's missed in a World Cup rugby final. Or, or, or whether it's in the midst of a kind of global conflicts going on around us. Something deep within us cries out for justice when we see injustice. That's part of what it means for us to be made in the image of our God as we've seen already in Genesis. Our God is the God of justice. He sees the injustice. He hears the cries of desperation in Gaza. And as we pray for a just peace there, we can pray with confidence because we know that that that's what he longs for too. He's not cold or indifferent or unmoved. Abel's blood cries out for justice. The Lord hears and he answers. Cain is cursed. Cain is sent away from the presence of the Lord, sent east of Eden. So we see something of the Lord's deep concern for justice. But at the same time, we see something of the Lord's deep concern for mercy. 
deep concern for mercy. Even in the midst of what's going on in Genesis 4, we see God's grace at work. Have a look at verse 13 and 14. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now that has got to be one of the worst prayers in the Bible, hasn't it? We've had no repentance from this guy, not even a non-apology apology. This is, a, this is a protest. It's not really a prayer, is it? But the Lord in his grace hears and answers the plea that is buried in his words of, of selfish protest. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that encouraging for us as, as we come to pray to him? Now we don't know what the mark of Cain was. Uh, perhaps the funniest thing I read and some uh, ancient commentators speculated that the mark of Cain was actually a little dog that came around with him as he went. So everyone saw the dog and thought, oh, we can't kill Cain because of the dog. I'm not quite sure how they made that leap. But, it, but it's remarkable. The Lord's capacity to show mercy in the midst of such devi- uh, defiance and rebellion and wickedness That terrible prayer. Our great God hears the plea. Doesn't condemn him to death right then and there as as perhaps he could have done. But he protects Cain. And as the, the Bible story unfolds, we see that this again and again and again. Our great God has to be just and act justly because that's who he is. And we see actually his justice flows out from his love. But as we trace through the story of the Bible, we see that alongside his justice, he loves to show mercy at the same time. Well, how how can he show justice and mercy at the same time? How does he square that circle? Well, the answer is the cross. The pivot point of the whole of history. The event that changed everything. Where the cross, as, as we sing, is, is where wrath and mercy meet. Where a guilty world is washed by love's pure stream. And in our battle with sin, this is where we come to, to the cross. This is where we find hope. This is where we find full and free forgiveness. This is, this is where we find the power to be free from our slavery to sin. Now there's a, there's a great book by um, Tim Chester on the subject of uh, dealing with pornography called Captured by a Better Vision. And his contention in that book is that, sure, when it comes to dealing with pornography, that there are practical things that we can do to, to, to battle it. There's kind of things we can set in place. There's people we can be accountable to. There's software we can put on our computers to block stuff. There's all those sorts of things. And they are all good things to do. But ultimately, Tim's point in this book is that if we really want to defeat 
pornography and, and any sin. We need to be captured by a better vision. We need to be captured by the glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus. We need to come to the cross, see the wrath and, and w- w- the place where wrath and mercy meet, to see the full and free forgiveness that, that is found there. It's only as, as we're captured by that better vision, that's where we find the power to be free from the grip of some of these sins that would just love to gnaw away at us and corrupt us and, and suck away our joy. Well, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, the writer talks about two mountains. The first is the mountain of the Lord, where Moses received the law. You can kind of cast your mind back to, to that day when he's up the mountain and it's covered with smoke and fire. Everyone is filled with terror, even Moses himself. And it serves as a giant sort of pyrotechnic keep out sign. If even your animal touches the mountain, it needs to be put to death, is what the Lord says that day. As the law is given, and the people see this awesome glimpse of the holiness and awesomeness of God, the writer to the Hebrews says, well, you have not come to that mountain. That mountain, and all it represents, the law, cannot save you from your sin just shows you your sin and your desperate need of rescue we come to another mountain the new jerusalem we come to the lord jesus the one who is the serpent crusher that's promised in genesis 3:15 who will reverse the curse and bring us back into relationship with god and in hebrews 12 verse 24 we read these words you have come to jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? The blood of Abel cries out for justice. The blood of Jesus, freely spilled out for us, cries out, it is done, it is finished. Full and free forgiveness and redemption has been won for us. Maybe we won't find the justice that we want here and now. But because of the cross, because it is finished, because Jesus has beaten sin and death, we know there will come a day when Jesus will come back to judge. And justice will finally be done and be seen to be done. And we know that there, on that day there will be no condemnation for us if we are trusting in Jesus. If only we would... Reach out and take that offer of forgiveness and life that he offers to us. He's, he's longing to, to, to wrap his arms around you and I. All we need to do is, is come to our senses. To take responsibility for our wrongdoing and come to him. Let me urge you, if you've not done that, before to do that even right now even today let's pray
Heavenly Father, again we come back to those words from Psalm 103. We thank you. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. We want to thank you for your love and your mercy. We want to thank you that there are no limits to your love, to, your, to the full and free forgiveness that you offer us. Help us, Lord, to reach out and take that offer. Help us, Lord, by the power of your spirit to, to take responsibility, to come to our senses, to, to see the sinfulness of our sin and to recognise that only you can forgive us, can wash us, can save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to end our time singing of...